0: Welcome to episode 47 of the Different Doctor Same Old Shit podcast. Each week we watch a story based on Dr. Order and dissect it. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, it's the simply ravishing Dr. and Say do, Doc.
1: I'm, I'm feeling beautiful, and that means I am beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely right. We are what we think. Must kill. Must yeah.
0: kill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What have you got to, Doc?
1: Um, well, obviously, because Mo and I work on a, a, a another project together, it's actually only been a scant twenty-four hours. It has since we've met each other. So I've uh, I've been to work, mm-hmm. um, and that's pretty much it. Ah, have you mm. been um, reprogramming
0: satellites again, Doc? Um, Hac- hacking into the Pentagon.
1: I've been reprogramming human consciousness.
0: Have you? Wow. Okay. Yeah. You're planning to go up against uh, Zuckerberg and his meta plans? I'm planning to go up against God. Oh, wow. Okay, Doc. Yeah, yeah. Um, Pussy. Yeah, absolutely right. Let, let's dive straight in, Doc, because we, we, we're kind of on a bit of a time schedule here, I think. Um, we've got some corrections to do. We've got four. We couldn't remember, Doc, who the lead actor in Australian neo-Nazi movie Romper Stomper was. Doc? Has it come back to you? I'm afraid it hasn't. Well, it was only bloody Russell Crowe, wasn't it?
1: Oh, my goodness gracious me.
0: Yeah, I, as soon as I saw it, I thought, of course it was. Yeah, I think that, yeah. that was his big break, I think. That was his breakout role. Um, I said that the 2018 version of Halloween had the involvement of humour vacuum Seth Rogen. I was <laughs> wrong, but not by much. It was, in fact, David Gordon Green, and Danny McBride. So just a bunch of other loudmouth fraternity wankers that people seem to find funny. Um, horrible. But that being said, I haven't seen the film and people seem to like it, so what do I know? Um, we couldn't identify the horror theme that was being riffed on in the track F- Funky Friday by Dave featuring Fredo, that was number one in the UK when Rosa was transmitted. Doc, I'm thoroughly ashamed of myself and you should be too and feel duty-bound to hand in my Horror Aficionado's Members Club badge and sidearm. It was phantasm, Doc, of course it was.
1: God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 how many times have we talked about Phantasm on this very project? I know. The doc foolishly suggested that
0: Leprechaun <laughs> 7 was, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> was subtitled <laughs> in space. It wasn't. Leprechaun 7, as no one L7, sorry, as no one is calling it, was subbed Origins. In space was in fact Leprechaun 4. <laughs> they, went to, they went early, Doc, into desperation mode, didn't they? They really oh, did.
1: You know your franchise is in trouble when you're in space by episode four, don't you?
0: Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, at least Friday the 13th had the good grace to wait until episode ten... Before they wasn't went that, into... Wasn't that so they could call it Jason X? Jason X. You got it. That's it. Um,
1: um, so... Which leprechaun was in Dahood, and which leprechaun was back to Dahood?
0: <laughs> well, I'm afraid that's going to have to be for Chow Time next time. <laughs> the saga continues. What have you been watching, Doc?
1: Um, this is interesting, actually. I, Since we've been talking a little bit about a certain kind of new golden age of Hollywood, or new Hollywood movies, as we move into the 1970s, and we're going to be talking about them a lot more, um, it became apparent to me that I had some real uh, lacunae, um, Mm. some really kind of shameful gaps um, in my viewing. Um, I had never seen Bullet. never seen the french connection in a chase that will leave you stunned and breathless in a story too bizarre to be fiction in the great tradition of american thrillers comes the french connection from one end of town to the other from the penthouses to skid row I, tough, I, the meanest cop in the toughest city in the world is after the french connection and he's moving at high speed you want to take a ride here, Batman? Popeye Doyle, he fights dirty and plays rough. He's bad news, but he's a good cop. He's got a nose for trouble and this action and I've never seen Serpico. He put his life on the line the day he turned down a bribe. (laughs) Officer Frank
0: Serpico was not your everyday policeman. He was a devotee of opera and ballet. His pets included an English sheepdog, a Guatemalan macaw, and a white mouse. He had a pad in the village. He dressed like a hippie and wore one gold earring. He had no problems with women. But what really made him different was that he would not be bought. Many of his fellow officers considered Frank Serpico the most dangerous man alive, an honest cop. Dino De Laurentiis presents Al. I, I am astonished by that. I think especially um, French connection. I thought that'd be right up your wheelhouse.
1: Um. I always assumed that I had seen it and I, yeah. I, for whatever reason I always assumed that it was one of the ones that, that, that never really did it for me um, but I thought to myself well I'd better make sure and it turns out no I'd, I'd never watched all of these films at least in one go and at least from beginning to end in one sitting so I decided that this this um, this burden needed to be patched quickly yeah. so that's yeah. what I did
0: Oh great um, what, what was your takeaway?
1: Well well um, those three movies uh, in three nights uh, I was not very happy by the end it, mm. it, it didn't it didn't leave me feeling good about the world mate <laughs> mm. um, they're fine films though aren't they all three of those they're fantastic they're yeah. absolutely brilliant yeah. um, and uh, we'll talk about this some more starting in two weeks time right maybe starting next week
0: right but is it that time period it's pretty, maybe bullets a bit earlier, but certainly French Connection and Serpico. That's kind of prime part, time period for, for, for like when my interest in cinema
1: really kicks in. Much before that, I do struggle a bit, Doc. I must be honest. No, um, I, I want to say like 68 through 74. I think I, I, I don't think I'm saying anything radical that that's like the the gold, like the. Uh, the silver Age of hollywood or the the, the the golden age of new hollywood if you like yeah yeah um it's when like sort of american cinema after losing its way um from the end of the 50s through to the mid60s and losing a lot of ground to the French and the italians mm. um suddenly decided to reassert itself and it's it's amazing for me even though historically i knew this to be true Having lived through 20-some-odd years of the US as an entity, bellyaching about how it's going to reassert itself and not, um, it's really amazing to me just to, to, to watch a nation that was admittedly in a very troubled cultural condition, but was in a cultural condition where it would literally say, as an entity. We are going to take back this thing that was, you know, uh, cinema was ours, and we let it get away. And now we're going to take it back and show the rest of the world how it should be done and did. Sure,
0: yeah, and and they've never really looked back, have they? They're still like the dominant force now. Whether you whether you like the modern moves as much, it, I think is a moot point. But yeah, I just think fine. Well, I mean, maybe Bollywood is the only one that really uh, really comes
1: close. Uh, are we talking about like sales or? Uh... Uh, or quality?
0: Well, I, I, I think we I think we can only really go on sales because quality is uh, subjective, surely.
1: Subjective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, um, India makes a ton of movies and a lot of people go and watch them, but just because of the economics of what's still by and large what's still by and large a third world country, yeah. Um, I, I, I I still don't think they're terribly profitable. Hmm. Mm. Um, I mean, the the country with the film industry that might be um, return on investment, the most profitable, uh, might be Uganda. Oh, really? Um, when this is finished, look up Ugandan action movies. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, 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 is there a,
0: like a Ugandan equivalent of, of Arnie and Sly?
1: Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, except... Um, they make movies which, um, you know, will take like a whole entire million pounds um, in rentals, but mm. they're made for six hundred pounds. Sure, <laughs> yeah. Um, like many people, um, I went into these things. Um, full disclosure, because uh, I, 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 I may as well uh, admit my mistakes. I went into these, like, looking at these things for. A, a, a patronizing laugh or um if you like um and oh my goodness what those people are capable of producing for not several millions not several hundreds of thousands but several hundreds mm. of us dollars mm. um i mean it's at least 90 percent as entertaining as any big budget action movie you'll see nowadays
0: sure Yeah. My big beef with modern action movies is, you know, just the lack of a sense of geography, basically, when the action kicks off. It just seems impossible to know what the hell's going on, you know. I think this is kind of Michael Bay syndrome, isn't it? Infecting... uh, But also Jason Bourne, I think, you know, all that kind of shaky cam shit.
1: Well, once again, and this is something else we talk about all the time, I can't believe how long fads last for nowadays. Mm. Um, I mean, a shaky cam in big budget productions came to my attention in Casino Royale. Your file shows no kills. But to become a double O, it takes two.
2: Coldest runs through my days. you know my name.
1: Um, and that was, like, 2006. Yeah, but, but, but that wasn't that a
0: reaction to the first born movie? I'll give you $10,000 to drive me to Paris.
2: I can't remember anything that happened before two weeks ago. Trained by the government. you has got a black
1: ops agent who's off the reservation. Tried to disappear. I don't
2: even know who I'm hiding from. i got to figure this out.
1: Born to survive. You! Stop right there! On June
2: fourteenth, Matt Damon. This not going to stop. Is Jason Bourne? What are you going to do? I'm full of surprises. The Bourne Identity. Rated PG thirteen. At theaters Friday, June fourteen.
1: Uh, probably, which was probably earlier. Yeah. Um, and then like you drew my attention to twenty four. Oh yeah. And I think that started a lot of modern action trends. Yeah. So, um, I don't think it's out of the question that we're talking about, like, trends in cinematography that have persisted for 20 fucking years. I know. The
0: first time I remember seeing it was, uh, like, the shaky camera shoot. It was uh, NYPD Blue.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, I can't remember. I, I can't remember if that predates twenty four. I've got, I've got a sneaking one that it did. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking that's we, late nineties, isn't it, Doc? Rather than I'm early early nineties.
1: Are we allowed to say it all goes back to the Evil Dead and Cannibal Holocaust, though? Well, there yeah, Well, this the As as do all
0: as do all things, Doc, as you very well know. All all, <laughs> all, all roads point to the Evil Dead.
2: The Evil Dead.
0: being shown to a live audience.
2: (laughs) The most ferociously original horror film of the year. The ultimate experience in grueling terror.
0: Dare you see this film alone? The Evil Dead. Should we get on with the show? Yeah, let's. Um, Don't forget you can contact us via email at different.sos at gmail.com, Facebook at mo.moses.1048 or Twitter at SOSDifferent. Let's get on with it. to part one of the show, which we call Tardy's Talk. It's the topic of the week, eh? Um Doc, give me a number between one and nine, if you would be so bold. Seven, please. Number seven. Let's have a quick scroll. OK, here we go. Favourite cliffhangers outside of Who? We've done it within Who, so now we want outside of Who, Doc, if we can think of anything. I've got three.
1: Oh, um... I've actually got so many, I need a, a, a little time to boil these down. George, so, um, shall I
0: hit you with my first one to give you a bit of yeah, a you go thinking ahead. space? Um, I mean, the first one's pretty obvious, I think, and maybe Stevie, one of yours. Um, but it's got to be the end of uh, Best of Both Worlds, part one, hasn't it, Doc? Um, That's the, a damn final. The season three cliffhanger to Star Trek The Next Generation, of course. Picard has been abducted by the Borg. He's been partially modified and turned into this kind of half-human, half-Borg creation called Locutus. Um, he's on the view screen basically telling Riker that the Enterprise is fucked and the human race is fucked and the Borg are coming to get us all. Um, and Riker's got a plan concocted with the help of Geordie and Worf. They're doing something with the deflected dish, are And turning it into a massive energy weapon. That's um, right. And then you just get this kind of great... I think Picard says something like, Your life, as you know
1: it, is over. I am Locutus of Borg. Resistance is futile. Your life, as it has been, is over. From this time forward, you will service us,
2: Mr. Worf Fire.
0: Cuts to Riker's face, zooms in on his face, the music's pounding away really dramatically. And then he just issues the command to Worf, Mr. Worf, fire.
1: Dun, 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 um, dun, 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 dun. That's the very, um, very knowing callback to the last episode of Blake Seven, season three, as well. Obligatory um, sapphire and steel drop from the. All irregularities will be handled by the forces controlling each dimension. Transuranic. Heavy elements may not be used where there is life. Medium atomic weights are available. Gold, lead, copper, jet, diamond, radium, sapphire, silver and steel. Sapphire and steel have been assigned. because I, I must use any opportunity I get I, I get to talk about Sapphire and Steel um, quite a few cracking cliffhangers I still think the one I'm going to pick is also probably the most obvious which is the ending to episode 3
0: oh yes, remind me of
1: or... uh, the ending to episode 3 of story 4 which is uh, the one that everyone talks about um, the man who lives in photographs um, uh-huh. and he's before the story even starts, um, he's trapped Liz's housemate in a photograph and still finds out about it and makes an enlargement. Um, and then he sets fire to the original of the photograph. Um, and what you think happens, happens, and it's mm. really fucking horrible.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that that TV show just sends chills down the spine, doesn't it, we're, we're, You know, with almost nothing happening on screen. it's it, 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 it's, it's sensational stuff.
1: Well, I'm I'm going to steal one here. The other candidate was the end of episode one of the railway station, where literally literally nothing happens. Um, Sapphire's on the platform of the railway station. Steele sees something or hears something or senses something. Um, And he just sends a telepathic message to her and he goes, Sapphire, leave that platform.
0: Oh, yes. The episode ending. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Great show, Um, a couple of great choices there. I'll give you my second one. It's Star Trek again. I'm sorry, guys. I'm a bit of an obsessive, uh, but this time it's not TNG. It's DS9. Um, it's the end of series four. It's an episode called. It's the last episode of, of season four. It's called Broken Link. Um, now, what's happened is Odo. It's a double whammy, cliffhanger basically. Odo has returned it's kind of it, it, it had a calling i think to go back to um like the link planet where the founders dwell you know in, in that great lake um where they all kind of um exist in their kind of request well you know all about this doc in their liquescent state um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, um, you know and somehow mingled together but odo's punished by the founders for rejecting them and he's turned into a human so that's part one of the cliffhanger. Then we're back on the station and Garon, the head of the Klingon Empire, is revealed to be dun-dun-dun! A changeling, Doc. It's absolutely fucking brilliant. What a great ending. Oh, Like Garon, leering on screen with those m- maniacal eyes.
1: <laughs> Old bug eyes.
0: <laughs> wow, absolutely fantastic, Doc. Oh, I fucking love it. Yeah, Bit of DS9 for you
1: um I'm going to go for and I'm pretty I, I'm, I'm certain I've got the right episode um episode five of Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. <laughs> And what happens is Ian Richardson walks into a room and that's the episode ending. And that's it. And what's the relevance? Um, uh, this is literally the point in the story where you're pretty sure you know who the mole is. Mm. You're pretty sure you know who outed him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and at this point in the episode... I I can't remember whether we know more than the characters know, but we've been in places... We, the viewer, have been in places where not all of the characters have been gathered together at once, so we know slightly more than all of the characters do at the moment. Yeah. Um, And Ian Richardson walks into a room, and you have no idea what he suspects or what anyone suspects about him. Mm. And, I, I mean, it's... It's what people know about how John le Carre's stories work to the point that it's almost become a cliche, mm-hmm. um, but that was the original. And it's so fantastic. And when it drops, there is no way you're, you, you you will kill to not miss the next episode. Mm.
0: Have, you, have you seen the film version of it?
1: You're no longer in the service. Only an outsider can find the double agent. I'll do my utmost. From the bestseller by John le Carré. All I want from you is one codename. It will take a master spy.
0: You're alone. You can't mention me.
1: To catch a spy.
0: You have to assume they are watching you. What the hell are you doing
2: up here? Things aren't always what they seem.
0: Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy, Rated R. It was released about 10 years ago with Gary, what's his name? Not Gary, Gary Newman. Old. Gary Oldman. That's Gary it. Oldman. Gary Newman. Yeah, Fucking I know, I right. know.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Can um, you imagine? Uh, well, uh, Hugh Laurie was unbelievably good in a John McCarrie adaptation. Uh huh. Um playing very, very, very much against type, and he was absolutely fantastic.
0: Like, he's quite
1: um, the actor, isn't he, uh, Yeah, but I mean, really, really, really impressive performance. Yeah. Um, but um, Gary Newman, I, I, that, that I would love to see. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have seen it. Um, and it's... I don't know how you... It, it's one of... The books I've ever read, and I can't think of anything less suitable for being adapted to a film. Um, I don't think you can do it in less than six hours. The, right. the BBC adaptation is seven hours, and I don't think you could. I, I don't think you could do it in. I don't think you could do it at all in less than five.
2: Mm. Um, I, don't,
1: I saw it. It, it. it was. I mean, at two
0: hours, it did, maybe it clocks in at two hours, but it, I mean, it felt so much longer. I, I found it almost. I found it torturous, actually, Doc. To be honest with you
1: it's another one of these things where in order to get it down to movie length you have to cut you'd have to cut out so much of the stuff that's actually interesting mm. um, if you tried to make it into a spy movie or God forbid an action movie well point number one the spy bits and the action bits aren't particularly revolutionary or aren't particularly good as spy or action bits yeah and if you we had this discussion a few weeks ago. Um, if you cut out, quote-unquote, the filler, yeah, uh, you know, the boring bits <laughs> of, men, of, of men in grey suits talking to each other in, 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 in drab rooms.
2: Yeah.
1: If you cut that... And I understand why you'd want to cut that out to make a cinema film, but if you cut that stuff out, you're cutting out the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, uh, uh, seven hours of TV goes by in no time. Mm. But I can imagine how... Perversely, I can really easily imagine how a two-hour film would dry. I didn't like it, Doc, particularly. It didn't st- and it
0: didn't didn't stick in the memory very long. My third one, Doc. We're um, back in the early '80s. It maybe mid '80s by this time. It's V: The Final Battle. The, I think we might have discussed this previously, but it, it, I think it merits repetition. Um, it's the end. It, it's the episode ending where a young woman called Robin who's had sex with uh, one of the visitors. But unbeknownst to her, you know, they're obviously like vile reptiles. Um, mm. And she gets impregnated, gives birth to twins. One of them is like a full-on horrible, gribbly reptile thing. And, you, and so you think that's the end of the episode. But no, then the other... The twin is born. This one looks human, right up to the point when her forked tongue flicks out. <laughs> and then, and then, cue the music, man! It's absolutely great. Sense. I remember watching that as a kid; it scared the living crap
1: out of me. Um, and my final one, uh, because I've dropped a sapphire and steel reference, and now um, I think my, my um, fanboy oath demands that I drop a Quatermass reference. And once again, so many to choose from. Yeah. Um, the most obvious one is the end of episode four of Quatermass 2. Which is where Professor Quatermass discovers the secret of Winnerden Flats. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. And he he sneaks into the chemical processing plant um, and opens the inspection hatch and peers in and discovers it's a breeding ground for aliens. <laughs> of course it is.
0: It's Quatermass. What else could it be? That pit's really good. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: another obvious candidate is uh, episode, the end of episode four of Quatermass and the Pit, which is the, the, the one where the gravel moves. the bit of television which yeah um unleashed the power of the BG, of, of the bbc radio front workshop onto an unsuspecting world and, uh, I, I,
0: I watched that for the first time a couple of years ago quite a mess in the pit yeah. my gosh darn it it's good isn't it doc oh it's fantastic yeah yeah absolutely mesmeric stuff i thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it uh, doc
1: are we ready should we get on with the show Yeah, why not? Let's talk about Doctor Who. We should do that. Jenkins? Yeah?
0: Check for the wings there. Five rounds rapid. Welcome to part two of the show, which we call Five Rounds Rapid. Me and the doc took out a few points here and there, and have a bit of a wag. Uh, today's story is Patrick Troughton's fourth outing, The Moon Base, written by Kit Peddler, um, who was also um, involved in The War Machines, The Tenth Planet, The Tomb of the Cybermen, The Wheel in Space, The Invasion, and Doom Watch. Not a bad rap sheet, is it, that doc?
1: No. Um, Kit Peddler, I, I, I think... Um, sort of ha- was was a bit like the Third Doctor in real life, in as much as he was Doctor Who's kind of scientific advisor. Mm. Um, I don't actually know what kind of a scientist he was.
2: Mm.
1: He was allegedly a scientist of some description, and uh, he got sort of hit up by the Doctor Who production team for, um, "Can you come up with some ideas of real science that might go horribly wrong?"
2: Right.
1: Mm. Um, and the obviously. The Omega point of that was being able to join with um the other two guys and pretty much like have a whole entire TV series all of his own to do exactly that. Sure. Which is mm-hmm. which is what Doomwatch was. Yeah. Um I mean it's the contributions of Kip Peddler are <clears throat> they're very charming to me nowadays because he hit on a bunch of topics that were relevant then and continue to be relevant and maybe even more relevant now. But whilst he got the big picture, he never got the details. Mm -hmm. Um, So as you can tell from the conception of the Cybermen, he's worried about eugenics um, and he's worried about designer humans Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. But the way in which he chooses to make this manifest itself is he expects us to be scared of prosthetic limbs and transplant surgery? Yeah. Um all the way through Doomwatch, he has environmental concerns which of course have absolutely not gone away up until the present day and are probably um I mean, I I think if Doomwatch and Kit Pedal have a lasting legacy at all, they were a part of some size in the beginning of the environmentalist movement. Sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um I wouldn't like to say how much of a part um and the thing is when you watch Doomwatch nowadays uh, obviously it's laudable that they have environmental concerns but the environmental concerns that they're concerned about are not the ones that turn out to be greatly troubling for the future of the human race mm. 40 years on mm.
2: um
1: for instance it turns out that genetically engineered super intelligent rats are not one of the main things that serious environmentalists are greatly concerned about nowadays. Well, I mean, you, you, you try telling that to James Herbert, Doc, that's all I'm saying to you. Yeah. Well, you, you already know whose side I am. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, uh, I absolutely think that um, Kip Peddler, um, given time, would have come up with the idea of super intelligent genetically engineered crabs.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know where yeah, I'm going with this. It's a guy and Smith. Thank God for that. It's been too long <laughs> since we mentioned eventually... him. Um, Moonbase, directed by Maurice Barry, um, within who um, notable for also directing Tomb of the Sidemen and the Dominators. Yeah,
1: lots, of, lots of Cybermen, I think.
0: Cybermentastic fantastic, and the Dominators. Um, Outside of Who, Zed Cars and Paul Dark, is two most notables. Here's what Wikipedia said about him. I thought it was quite interesting. He was known by the cast and crew of Doctor Who to be a somewhat strict and uncompromising director of the old school. But the Moonbase and the Tomb of the Cybermen are often spoken of as classics of 1960s Doctor Who. He was also well known for carrying a music stand to place his script on during rehearsals. He also appeared as an actor in the Doctor Who story The Creature from the Pit, playing the scientist Tolland. His other acting credits include episodes of "Are You Being Served," "Blake Seven, "Day of the Triffids," "Tales Unexpected," "All Creatures Great and Small," and "Hidey High. So yeah, quite the career there, Doc.
1: Um, main cast? Oh, sorry. Go on, Doc. You look like what? No, that's all right. Oh, um, Morris Barry is a good deliverer. Uh, I mean, he, he's he's not a great visual stylist in anything mm. that he does. Um, I think he's another one of these people who. Has the ability to pick great designers. Mm. Um, his casting decisions are there's nothing wrong with them, but they're fairly unremarkable. The people he really seems to have a gift for picking is the people to design the sets and the costumes.
0: Yeah, and of course we'll get onto that when we as we as we delve into today's story, or should imagine. Main cast, obviously Patrick Troughton as the Doctor and it Wills as Polly, Michael Craze as Ben Jackson and Fraser Hines as Jamie McCrimmon. Other notables, Patrick Barr as Hobson, Andre Marin as Benoit, Michael Wolf as Nils, John Rolfe as Sam, Mark Heath as Ralph and Alan Rowe as the voice from Space Patrol and Doctor Evans. Um, shall I kick off, Doc? Yeah, you go ahead. Um... A bit surprising that they revealed the Cybermen so early, wasn't it? Only like ten minutes in, and we get this kind of over-the-shoulder shot of a of a, of a Cyber dude. But, uh, and given that the title of the story does not reveal that the Cybermen are involved, I thought that was a bit of a strange choice. Not necessarily a bad one, just a strange one.
1: Um, so there's a couple of things going on here. Um, the Cybermen were very popular when they first appeared in the Tenth Planet. Yeah, and. Um, a, a, a reappearance, um, as it turns out, a reappearance of mere four stories on, um, yeah,
2: right. was
1: practically inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the return of the Cybermen was very heavily tail trailed in the radio times. Mm. Um, even though I certainly believed for a long time, the novelization of this book is called Doctor Who and the Cybermen. Yes, um, which I thought was a, a lame title for a Doctor Who story, and I was delighted when I found out that the original TV series was called "The Moonbase" because I thought they'd cleverly chosen the title to dis- uh, as you did to disguise the fact that the Cybermen were in it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but actually, in the pre publicity for it, the pre publicity w- was 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 all about the return of the Cybermen.
0: Okay, yeah. So the, 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 it was a known quantity that they were going to be in this episode.
1: That's right. Yeah, and. Um, I mean, I'm I'm leapfrogging you a bit here because I think this is a great point to mention. Um, There's a a very interesting editorial decision made about the conception of the story, which is not to write a new one. Everyone agreed that the Tenth Planet worked really, really well, um, but it was overshadowed by William Hartnell's departure. Um, And a lot of people didn't like the conception of those first-generation Cybermen. I love them to bits, um, but a, a lot of people thought with more time and money we could have done better.
0: This so, is the, the this is the cloth head you're talking. That's about. right. Yeah, to, yeah. yeah because nice. I was surprised that they weren't like that in this story. I thought that the side were in that form for more than one story, but I'm obviously wrong. Um,
1: so it's going to be ages until we talk about the tenth planet. So I, I, I'm, I'm safe to do this here my idea or my understanding of this was the cybermen were not supposed to be like apart from having prosthetic limbs the cybermen were not supposed to be robotic i assumed the i assumed that the humans were wearing thermal hoods or ski masks because it was at the south pole Mm -hmm. um i assumed that the cybermen if you'd have seen them in their native environment would have had human faces or possibly human faces with some bits of circuitry stuck to them or something like that.
0: Oh, that's an so, interesting point. That's never occurred to me. And I suppose that's because I have kind of gone back to watch the 10th planet retrospectively have, you know, knowing what the side men
1: would ultimately become. But that's true of you as well, isn't it, Doc? I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, And um, when I first saw them um, in the 10th planet, um, I never once thought, that's a lame effect. They've mm-hmm. clearly got stocking masks on. Yeah. I thought, oh, I know what this is. It's the Cybermen at an early stage of their development where they're still mostly human. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've probably still got human faces and they've still got human flesh. So because it's at the South Pole, they're wearing thermal hoods.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally see your logic.
1: Um. So what they did in this story, and it's, it, it's a remake of the Tenth Planet, isn't it? Mm -hmm. it's a flat out pretty much scene for scene remake yeah um and i think that was a really interesting very clever decision which is we had something that worked really really well um except for we could have done cybermen better Um, it would be great if these excellent new monsters were not completely overshadowed by the departure of the leading man Mm. Um, so let's keep all of the stuff that worked and fix the bits that could have been improved
0: I tell what astonishes me is the turnaround time on this. You know, got, like you say, the tenth planet was a mere four stories
1: prior. Yeah, so that's in the only same season, no less.
0: In, in in the same season, yeah.
1: Well, um, we've had what um, uh, Power of the Daleks, then mm-hmm. the Highlanders, yeah,
2: um, underwater menace,
1: and then the underwater menace. So yeah. six, ten, fourteen weeks, fourteen weeks, uh,
2: weeks. yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Um, it's some going, and, isn't it, Doc? Well, it wasn't even precisely a quiet fourteen weeks either, now was it? No, no. Um, you know, the, there's there's a Dalek story in there, mm. um, and that's got to be taken seriously. Um, there's a new Doctor. Mm. Um, and so the I mean, lavish,
0: like the lavish sets of underwater menace, must have taken time to, you know, to to, to design, build, etc.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's 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 busy busy times at, at yeah. in Doctor Who land at the moment. Certainly. Um, so, I think you just provided a really good explanation as to why they basically decided to remake the Tenth Planet. Mm. Um, no production meetings, no editorials needed. We'll we've we've got the script where nearly everything worked perfectly. Mm-hmm. Let's do that.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Um Hop- soon.
0: I wanted to uh, focus on him briefly. Mm. A really, really plausible chief of the moon base, I thought. Yeah. I like that actor. Um, I thought he had real presence on screen. You know, he he, he was the right age, and he just had a, he had a touch of the gravitas about him, Doc, I thought. So I don't know what you what made of him.
1: Well, they... In the 10th planet, you had General Cutler, who was a gibbering lunatic and who, uh, who the army would never have promoted to such a high rank. Sure. Um, it would not have happened. Um, and he would have certainly failed psych screening before uh, he was put in charge of a project like that. Mm. Um, and the idea of him being personally in charge of the deployment of weapons of mass destruction is, mm. is silly. So you had this General the character in The Tenth Planet who was a, a ridiculous character and very badly played by Robert Petey and, and he was one of the things they they, they fixed up. Yeah, um, And you get this character, Hobson, who um, I think is a completely convincing leader of men,
0: mm.
1: um, a completely convincing crisis leader.
0: Yeah, You know, very often I'm thinking about, I don't know, something like um, Revenge of the Sidemen, let's say. You know, the, the the similar figure in that, does not cut a dash in the same way that Hobson does, I don't think.
1: Um... It's kind of... It, it's kind of become a cliché. Revenge of the Cybermen is a great example, because that's Jerry Davis too. Oh really? Um, yeah. Um... It, Almost I'm, pains me to hear you say that, Doc, because it, it's fucking well, awful, isn't it? Um, I meant to say this when when, when we were reviewing Rosa, and the, one of the one of the bones I had to pick about that particular story was the constant um, what should we say the constant mockery and belittling um, of the bad characters, um, because what you do is you greatly undersell the threat of what these people are. Um, There's nothing remotely funny or unthreatening about racist Southern Crackers. Mm. They're really fucking frightening people. Mm -hmm. And making them into idiots who can be easily outwitted and manipulated completely undersells the nature of the threat and the nature of the cause and the the nature of of everything you're dealing with. Um, Jerry Davis is almost kind of the inventor of doing that because... (coughs) I get it. He doesn't like authority figures. I get that part. A great many of us don't like authority figures. But his way of expressing his dislike of authority figures is to paint them as stupid and incompetent and paranoid and reactionary. Nearly all the time. And it, it doesn't do his storytelling any good because it's a reverse of the Rosa situation. He, he, he completely undercuts his own villains because... well honestly anyone could defeat these idiots sure yeah um and the race of people who would give give these idiots a position of power frankly deserves to be defeated sure Mm -hmm. and it's it's really really nice to sort of see an exception to that when 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 you have well you have the whole entire crew on the moon base actually I, i mean um i think sort of almost uniquely for uh what would later become then as a base under sea story. No one goes mad and starts pointing the finger at the Doctor and his companions. Um, There's a hint of that at times. This has
0: only started since you've got here, kind of, conversations.
1: I would regard that as responsible suspicion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's an observation. All of this only started when you got here. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't have to believe in coincidences, but... Um, you should pay attention to cause and effect. Mm. Um, so you have what I would describe as responsible leadership. In other words, um, being suspicious where there appears to be grounds for superstition, but then when the grounds for superstition, um, are voided, um, or something else proves to be the problem. I really, really like the fact that um, you don't get the scene where someone goes mad at the end and starts waving a gun around and going "It's you,
0: I know yeah. it's you." In fact, it's quite the opposite, isn't it? You know, by, by, by pretty much the start, or uh, maybe five minutes into episode four, they're hanging on the Doctor's every word, aren't
1: they? Well, yeah, because um, I mean, it's because of the nature of the environment. Um, it's it's a scientific installation, um, and. Does, does this very nice, um, almost kind of like hangover from the fifties, ethic of um, you know, people can lie and people can call them pe- people who call themselves scientists can lie, but science can't lie. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and, and, and talking about science, it's it, it good to see the doctor doing a bit of. Doing a good bit of science thing here, isn't it, as well, you know, with it look, peering through microscopes and stuff and, you know, finding yeah, the virus. Definitely. It's good. I really, really enjoyed that. Also good to see um, that the French character Benoit is actually played by a real-life Frenchman, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I suspect that Nils is also played by either a German or an Austrian because the, the gentleman's name is Michael Wolf, which could be Austrian or German, couldn't it?
1: Yeah, um, he's he's a bit of an improvement on um, the Mexican in the moon base, in the Tenth Planet now, isn't he? Yeah,
0: yeah. So I, I, I think that is good to see. It may be a bit unusual for this period in Who's history, where they'd normally just get like a, a British thesp and, you know, get them to do some kind of cod accent.
1: Well, um, I think by season five you'll see that... Um, the, the British are, evi- are, are, are are evidently the dominant ethnic group in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, just like, everyone's just British and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, which explains why the Daleks are able to conquer the world by invading Berkshire. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's right, yeah. Um, uh, what's your next round wrapping, Doc?
1: Um, when you when your entry point for the Cybermen is, say, Earthshock, although even this is atypical, when your entry point for Doctor Who is the 80s, and Mm -hmm. you learn a little bit about the history of Doctor Who, and you get this idea in your head, um, right, what the big four monsters do is they invade stuff. They have a huge army and a massive spaceship, and they invade stuff. The Cybermen don't get round to doing any invading until the invasion. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is a slightly um, facile game. That's fun to play as long as you don't take it too seriously and it's the what broad ethnic stereotype are the aliens this week mm. um and this is this is childishly funny to play particularly with ds9 um that's got some obviously some very very broadly drawn um ethnic stereotypes in it
0: yeah i mean particularly ferengian cardassians
1: uh, well um you've got um your Jews in space your Palestinians in space your Israelis in space yeah um Nazis in space Nazis in space Americans in space yeah um and Africans and Chinese in space I sure I, um and it's I don't think a lot of that holds together I I, I don't think it's fair to make great critique of Star Trek for that. You can observe it if you want to, but um, far from being crudely stereotyped, that series spends a lot of time with the nuances of the individual characters.
2: Mm.
1: Mm. Um, and if you've ever watched that programme at all, you'll know it's as far from stereotyping as you can get. That's right, yeah.
0: yeah they, they, I, I, I listened to a podcast called Re, uh, ds9 no rebinge i think it's called whether you know they're watching it from beginning to end and the woman on there in particular really really grates on my nerves because she doesn't seem to understand you know that the ferengi behavior particularly towards women is you know it's it's a little bit satirical doc it's a little bit satirical
1: well it's also satirical and you know it, it's it it's dealing head on with this thing that is a massive problem Um, well, is a massive thing now. How do you deal with the aspects of somebody else's culture that you don't find particularly defensible? Um, And I mean, uh, Star Trek in particular, and Doctor Who roundabout now, has has always had this idea of what what I'm going to call cultural relativism, which is that, um, basically, don't criticise somebody else's house until you're over spotless. Mm. I think Star Trek works almost best when it goes head to head with this idea that if you go out to meet other people's cultures, you're going to run into aspects of other people's cultures that you don't like very much. And Mm -hmm. they're going to run into aspects of your culture that they don't like very much. And kind of almost, almost the big battle that goes all the way through Star Trek is, and how do we deal with that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Klingons Mm -hmm. love war. Mm -hmm. (laughs) most humans don't love war Mm -hmm. Um, Vulcans are motivated only by logic Romulans Mm -hmm. are motivated only by passion sure yeah Um, 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 so I'm really all about talking about Star Trek for a really long time what I wanted to get back to is so what crudely stereotype what what crude ethnic stereotype are the Cybermen in this story Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, and it's the only people I can think of who were suspected of sneaking around and doing sabotage. On the one hand, you could say it's the communists in general. Sure.
0: Well, I was wondering if you are down towards the Russians, you know, which of course would be quite quite pertinent
1: at the moment. <laughs> Once again, the thing about the Soviet Union that in 1969, the thing, 1966 thing about the soviets that people were worried about was that they possessed hydrogen bombs mm-hmm. um it's not that they were going to go around drilling holes in the walls of your secret base um so who is it and the only people i could come up with really were the north koreans
0: okay mm-hmm. the communist again
1: but not marxist
0: right fair enough That's um, an important distinction
1: well the the um, Kim Sung Il had his his own conception uh, or his 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 own take on Maoism, <coughs> um, which is obviously dynastic. Um, so it's inherited. It includes far more elements of Chinese Confucianism than orthodox Maoism does, um, and it contains a lot of very pre revolutionary very reactionary elements of Korean cult. We're already talking about parts of somebody else's culture that you run into and you don't like very much. The sort of Korean obsession with filial piety and your your parents are gods. If there's a sort of a, a group of people or an organization of people or a country in the world who people suspected were sneaking around and tampering with things and sabotaging things, There was a fairly well-publicised case, and it must have been around about this time, because there's an episode of The Avengers based on it, called called The Town of No Return. Yeah,
0: I remember the title, I can't remember the episode.
1: Well, um, it's based on apparently something that happened in Korea, which is, um, it it was a fishing village, and the North Korean uh, commando, Special Forces or whatever, abducted the members of the village one by one starting by kidnapping them off their fishing boats when they're out at sea and then um and they replaced a whole small village of people with north korean spies wow. uh, and it, it went and it went undetected for by all accounts several years um and they're also very well known for digging tunnels under the demilitarized zone um and i mean not like the kong choi ones not little crawl spaces but like big concrete tunnels that you could drive a tank down Mm -hmm. Um, and when these when these things started being discovered people realized that in the event of a full-scale conflict of course the south korean forces or the republic of korea forces with their u.s allies would move all of their armor up to the border or up to the edge of the dmz but there's all these tunnels going under the dmz so sure. the invading force pops out of the ground behind your lines wow. of defence.
0: Yeah, well, that's ingenious, isn't it? Really.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and that th- they were, they were the people. I I think. The Russians were the the Soviets were known to go in for espionage, but that's so they could get your secrets, so they could build better hydrogen bombs. I think it would if if anybody was supposed to be going in for this sort of secrecy and sabotage um and creeping around and doing really sneaky things i think that um, in the olden days in the days pre-world war ii it would have been the japanese who would have done mm-hmm. that stuff but i think it was only the north koreans who we had left to sort of accuse of doing things like that mm. by the late 60s
0: Look, how stupid are the people within the moon base um not leaving somebody on guard in the sick bay, um not 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 just once, not even twice, but perhaps three times. Um it just seems thick beyond any any sensible measure, Doc. What, what, what do you think about this? And also, secondary to that, how strong is that motherfucker playing the Cyberman, Doc? The way that he picks those bodies up and just kind of puts it puts them under his arm and carries them effortlessly, absolutely
1: remarkable. Well that, that's that's um that's man-mounted Michael Kilgareth, isn't it? Right, well, I don't know. Um I I need to check that because there is the vaguest possible chance that it was um another competition weightlifter and bodybuilder, mm. um, little known fella, um, man-mounted Dave Prouse. Um oh, he, yeah. he, he, he obviously vanished off the face of the earth after being in Doctor Who once or twice and yeah. nobody ever heard of him ever again. Whatever happened to him. Um I'm pretty confident it's Michael mm. Um But, uh, yeah, a, 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 a mighty human being.
0: Wow, it was, it was so impressive. Um, you know, it, 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 if it were the days of CGI, I would presume that that was some kind of lightweight mannequin and they just CGI'd the, the, the actor's face onto it, but of course, that, not possible. Well,
1: the, the, the director, uh, Morris Barry, very clearly directs him to, like, wiggle and squirm so that, so that it, it's abundantly clear that it's a real person that michael kogaroff is carrying isn't it
0: yeah yeah Uh, yeah it was absolutely sensational but yeah but but but, nobody on guard in 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 sickbay it infuriated me
1: um i don't know if this is a reference to this in a very early episode of yes minister Counting a funny story about when they joined the Ministry of Defence, and they went with the then minister to investigate secure or to, to look at secure spots or, or uh, spots that could be security risks all over London. Um, and in the episode of Yes Minister, obviously, it's played for laughs because it's an after dinner anecdote. But I can imagine a senior minister saying this, with all of the horrifying implications that it has and apparently they went to look at the cold guards who were on infantry duty outside Buckingham palace Um, and the minister said i don't know why we have those armed guards there no one's ever tried to get in that way
0: Uh, yeah 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 that's great brilliant Mm -hmm.
1: um so i don't know whether people not putting a guard on a spot that is suspected to be vulnerable and then being surprised when it turns out to be vulnerable. it—it It is a really stupid thing to do, but I've heard of, um, for instance, um, I've heard of the landlord of a house of multiple occupancy leaving his own property and leaving the back door unlocked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very
0: good. The doc's just referred to something that happened in real life and caused an interruption to our, our recorded schedule. Yeah.
1: No, yeah. I mean, that's pretty stupid. That, that, that's pretty that's, stupid. That's a pretty yeah. stupid laugh. Uh, uh, I mean, you know, do it to some other fuckers' property, but don't do it to your own property.
0: No, you're right. You're quite right, doc. Doc, um, we're
1: so, up against
0: it. We're up against it time-wise. Um, Any yeah. any, any crucial last, last round that you want to get off your chest before we move on? Um...
1: I really, really like the low keyness of the story. Mm. Um, What I really like is, and just keep in mind that story about the the Korean fishing village. Mm -hmm. I think the idea is for the Cybermen to take over the base and for the Earth authorities to not to know about it. Mm -hmm. I don't think the Cybermen are planning on destroying the Earth with the Gravitron. I think their plan is to take over the Gravitron and use it and economically weaken the Earth. Roger. over a period of weeks or months or years or tens of years. But somebody says, you know, like, it, it, it's, it's, it's the prelude to a full-scale invasion. I don't think it is the prelude to a full-scale invasion. I think it's one of many, many plans that the Cybermen have got. And this this is almost kind of like a saga, because I, I think it crops up again in the wheel in space. Sure. I think it crops up again in Earth Shock. And the Cybermen are playing this very... Because they don't rot, they don't age, they don't die. They can play the long game. Mm. What they want is Earth's mineral wealth. Um, You know, they can take their time over it. Yeah, they've got infinite patience, haven't they? Yes. And I think this is just one small... This is kind of almost more chilling for me. This is one of many, many, many bits of infiltration that the Cybermen are up to at any given time. Um, And... When the story finishes, I really like the idea that it's, that threat has been defeated but there'll be another one along, uh, and in fact there might be many, many other threats. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think this is the real strength of the kit kit peddler Jerry Davis team, which is the, science makes your race strong um, and improves the quality of life for people, but it also makes you vulnerable.
0: Sure. Sure, and I, um, like, I like this idea of Kit Peddler Pedler, you know, um, being tasked with, you know, give us a list of, effectively, like, scientific principles where bad, bad shit could happen, because of course that that, yeah. that, that, you know, that's a torch that would be, almost like passed on to something like Michael Crichton it, in, in the coming uh, decade.
1: Well, I mean, it, it was a huge. Um, tentpole in the middle of 70s down of science yeah. fiction wasn't it it certainly was yeah you're right doc uh shall we move on yes let's commander you are authorized to use the mind probe what no not the mind
0: probe welcome to part three of the show which we call not the mind probe this is the politics and payoff and stuff isn't it influences all that all that jazz uh broadcast dates for the moon base 11th of february 1967 to the 4th of march uh, uk and us film releases of no just the one in doc. Um, not much happening in the world of cinema during this which is good morning and goodbye this is a russ mayer film so lots of women with big boobs i imagine wandering around doing <laughs> illogical things <laughs> um, uk number ones uh, we've got three actually um first up very famous the monkeys i'm a believer I thought love was only
2: true and tales, And for someone else but not for me Our love was out to get
0: me And that's the way it seemed We love that one, don't we? Um, next up we've got Petula Clark with This Is My Song Never heard this one, Doc. Let's see what this is like.
2: Why is my heart so light? Why are the stars so bright?
0: Fucking hell, I think that's enough of that doc, isn't it? Jesus Christ. Yeah, um, i
1: have got a comment to make on this, actually. Go on. Um, Coming down the pike very, very shortly in Doctor Who time, not in our project time, um, we've got the Macro Terror and we've got the Faceless Ones Mm -hmm. coming up in very short order, which are two stories almost back to back that address points at the opposite spectra of affordable holidays in Great Britain in the <laughs> mid to late 60s. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: one of them is about holiday uh, holiday camps, which are on their way out, and the other one is about international package tours to Europe, which are on their way in. Sure. Um, that song, uh, the Petula Clark one you just played, um, I think we can probably guess that the cheap package tours to Greece had just come out <laughs> when that song yeah. came out. Can't yeah. Remember.
0: Oh god! And the the the, the third number one, oh, Doc. It's not getting any better. It's Engelbert Humperdinck with "Release Me." Oh god! Brace yourself, go. Please oh,
2: release oh, me. Oh god! Oh Christ! Make <laughs> it stop! stop
0: jesus age christ i think i'm finding myself every week when we're in this in the series saying thank fucking christ somebody invented the electric guitar and the synthesizer well, I've, got,
1: I've got a challenge for you yeah i've got uh, next time we do this exercise yeah um, around about this time um can you not pick out the top three mm-hmm. can you pick out three songs from the top 20 that are actually good
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll have a look. I'll have
1: a look, see what I can do. Because, um, I mean, like, at this point in world history, mm-hmm. there must be, oh I don't know, a song in the top 20 sung by a black person. There must be sure. a song in the top 20 um, with the tiniest bit of edge to it. I mean, sure. what... Are we on, like, the fifth Rolling Stones album and the sixth Beatles album by now, or something like this? I know.
0: It's crazy, isn't it? It's absolutely crazy. got to crazy. be able to do better than this. I love the cover of the uh, album, um, the upper Umbuddy album, Release Me. Um, it, it's got it's got a quote on it. It, say, it says, 12 um, great songs plus Release Me, which kind of implies... <laughs> It suggests the release was not great.
1: Really made me chuckle, Doc. Um, um, you see, it, it's it's also <laughs> one of those. Um, it's one of those album titles that is what people think is meant by question begging, isn't it? Oh yes. Um, yeah. Because what I want to say is no, never. Yeah. Yeah, stay yeah, in yeah. Confinement ever. If I had my way, Doc, have you heard
0: the um, the fabulous um Monkeys, I'm a believer mashup with the Trooper by Iron Maiden. No! Would would you like to hear it?
1: Yes, please. Here we go. Isn't that just Astonishing Duck? There's no way... There is no way Adrian Smith... Did not do that on purpose. There's no way that. not...
0: Isn't that brilliant? I love that so much.
1: Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. There's no way that's not. There is no way on earth that is not where Adrian Smith got the chord progression for.
0: Well, there we go, Doc. Yeah, I, I, I think I've just mm. successfully blown the Doc's mind. That's all. I, oh, I, wow. I try to do it at least once a month. I don't, that, that's that's my mark <laughs> one out of the way. Um, all right, then, Doc. Here we go. Let's get into Part Three proper. It's it's it, you know we we talk about politics around the time, what's happening in the world, all that kind
1: of stuff. Got to ground
0: ground the story in the reality of the times. Um what
1: we well, um the conflicts in, in uh, the, the the conflicts in southeast asia are uh are spooling up very very nicely by uh by this time now aren't they
0: mm-hmm. sure
1: um i think we're um what year are we at this this is um where 67. Even are yeah. 67, Doc. so um if i remember correctly by the end of january 19 um we're we're, we're moving up to by the end of january 1967 Um, the, what should we say, the the occupying forces, the U.S. forces or the um, South Vietnamese forces were extremely confident um, that they would be able to solve this little problem by the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, For those of you who don't follow history and politics, it didn't quite work out like that. Sure.
2: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, Sure.
1: And because I wasn't there and I don't know, um, I always think of that being the thing that was happening in real actual world politics in 1966. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think the the last bits of the British Empire are sort of shuddering. It's not so much like out with a bang as with a whimper. Uh, mm. They're just sort of shuddering to a halt and, 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 and people are increasingly less and less bothered about them. Sure. Um, I don't think there's any fight or any particular desire or any particular will to hang on to any colonies anymore mm. um, and I think by the end of the year um, I think the withdrawal from Aden will be complete um, and that will be pretty much it for the British Empire mm. so d- d- how do you think that that d- d-
0: could possibly tie into the you know the the, the, the thoughts of, of Kit Peddler when he's when he's when he's penning his story
1: well, uh, this story is the beginning of, um, and I've referred to it before as the, um, the unwritten narrative or the unwritten backstory that underpins a lot of 70s Doctor Who. Um, there's never a story that's explicitly about it, except once again, right at the end. But we know there's an earth empire. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was very successful for a number of, or probably several hundred years. Um, and then just like the British empire, um it overreaches itself and it sort of comes to a shuddering halt um and it's never actually defeated um, but by the time you get to the mutants empire building has got no support back on the homeworld; it's undefended um it's run by people who are either it- e- egotistical and incompetent or their hearts are not really in oppressing the natives anymore um but then at the other end of it you've got the moon base um, sure. and The moon base, I think, is an acceptance of the fact that the human race has been exploring space quite a bit already by 1966. By 1969, there would have been a human being on an alien planet for the first time ever. Um, But we've been out in space, we've done that, and that's not science fiction anymore. So what we need to think about is how we might begin to colonize space. Mm -hmm. And the way you do that is bases and outposts. Yeah, and This obviously massively informs Season 5. We've had a hint of it in um, The Power of the Daleks, which has an Earth colony. But that's far more like, let's say, the Massachusetts Bay Pioneer colony, isn't it? It doesn't have any military to, military support. Um, it's certainly not there with a huge army to, to squash the natives. Um, it's more of a, an exploration mission um or more of a mining colony than it is a a, a huge government-funded military expedition that's sent out from earth sure. and then once again this thing here it's it's not so much the first step towards colonizing space the real world equivalent would be something like building a lighthouse from scratch in the middle of the english channel do, do, do you remember the date
0: of, of this story because they, they did mention it but I, but it slipped my mind
1: um, I want to say 2020.
0: Okay. Oh, re- oh really? So almost contemporary to, to ourselves?
1: Yeah. Um, so um, the 10th planet, planet is 1986. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so we know that there isn't, a- a- apart from the Gravitron, there isn't much technology that we couldn't reasonably imagine having. Um, we know that the moon base is... It's a semi-permanent institute, uh, installation, um, but it's not armoured. It's very vulnerable. It's a plastic dome on the surface of the moon. Um, yeah, it's certainly not built to support families or children. Um, it's not the Starship Enterprise, that's for sure. Mm. Um,
0: As you're chatting, Doc, I've just uh, done a bit of uh, background snooping. It's actually 2070 is the date of the, uh, 70. the story. story. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So maybe they did that to account for the fact that that they've they've got an artificial gravity machine now.
0: They've given themselves a hundred years, basically, haven't they?
1: Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, but there's still there's still no stupid sci-fi in this. No. There's no there's there's no faster than light travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no there's nothing that was intended as a planet destroying weapon. Human beings certainly aren't routinely colonising other planets in mm. other star systems.
0: Yeah, this, this this project does seem nascent, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, well, well it's... And we would assume, wouldn't we, that uh, since it's to control the weather and presumably assist people in what we now call third world countries, so yeah, well, places suffer from desertification.
0: Yeah, that, that, that's what I was thinking. Really. The, the, the aim seemed to me to be to... Um, kind of vastly benefit agriculture
1: on the planet earth to vastly benefit agriculture on planet earth uh, to improve the lives of people on planet earth yeah which seem to go against the whole notional idea of buildings uh, of, of, of having a space empire doesn't it uh, yeah um, they're putting a lot of time and effort into improving conditions for the people who stay on earth presumably with the intention of getting them to stay on earth so I always like to sort of try and look into the, the, the expanded universe and, and, and try and match it up um, with what might be happening in the real world. I'm going to stick my neck out here and say the British Empire, in fact, all the old colonies. So the French, the Portuguese, the Dutch? When did uh, l'Algerie Française go out of business? I want to say 1963. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say that's when Charles de Gaulle finally pulled the plug on it.
0: Right.
1: Um of course, that's when the Petit clamour assassination attempt was made on Charles de Gaulle by the OAS. Well, specifically, specifically in retribution for um, pulling out of Algeria.
0: Sit back, listeners, and just enjoy. These are the moments that we love when the doc starts pulling this stuff out of his enormous brain. Go
1: on, doc. <laughs> It's awesome. say my enormous ass then. <laughs> um, yeah. um, almost all of the old European empires are out of business. The the American experiment in adventurism um, in Southeast Asia, um, well, let's see what they're doing. They're trying a colonial adventure in a place where previous colonial adventures by the Chinese, the Japanese, the French, the Japanese, the British, the French, and the Chinese mm. had previously failed.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so the Americans rocked up and th- thought they'd give it a go.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, somehow expecting it to go differently.
0: Yeah, it didn't go so well, did it, it didn't go so well.
1: Um, but in 1966, we didn't know that. In, in, mm. in, in 1966, um, the reporting was very, very positive. Um, there were some, some large scale gains uh, being made up to the DMZ, the Strategic Hamlet Programme, um, although it wasn't going well, was being reported as going very well. In other words getting innocent south vietnamese people out of the the evil influence of the the northern infiltrators in my
0: head the script flips as the as, as the as the clock hits the new decade. would that be about right Doc?
1: Um, no it flips in february 1968 on a tet ah. offensive
0: other oh, tet offensive of course yeah
1: mm-hmm. so um literally associated press announces the total defeat of all North Vietnamese forces and their, in, and their imminent collapse. Five hours later, the Tet Offensive breaks out.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah. They, they, um, they done goofed.
1: Yeah. Um, I actually just realized what I said a minute ago. Um, I was talking about um stupid mistake of mine. Um, earlier on in the episode, I was talking about, well, um, who in the world uh, were sort of carrying the mantle of the the the, the sneaky infilt- uh, the sneaky infiltrators. You know, the the people who wouldn't show themselves in an honest stand up fight, but what mm. what they try and do is, is is creep around in the middle of the night into um, unguarded villages. Yeah, uh, it's the VC dog. Yeah, uh, uh, who 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 was being stereotyped like that in nineteen sixty mm. uh, My stupid fucking mistake. Those <laughs> goddamn those goddamn mind. gooks.
0: The fucking Charlie yeah. over there. Bastards. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, what's the phrase? Um, if it runs, it's a VC. If it stands still, it's a well-disciplined VC.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I've been through those tunnels. You know that the VC dug along the um, along the river um, as, as like a big loping westerner. There are actually parts of it that you can't access because they're too small, man. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely <clears throat> crazy how far um any, anytime you get tunnels or anything mm. like that a lot of speculation and you get a lot of outright invention and um, I've read reports that the tunnels ran from and these are straight don't, I straight out don't believe I don't believe that they ran from the DMZ into Saigon mm-hmm. um like not several hundred miles
0: my memory—I mean, we go back a few years, Doc—but my memory to get to the, which I think we called the cho the Chicho or Cho Chi tunnels, um, was about a maybe an, an hour moped ride from um, from Ho Chi Minh.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so pretty close. Uh, yeah, very close. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, enough to enough to get you through I Corps, that's for sure and enough to get you alarmingly close to the suburbs of saigon i would have thought sure
0: exactly um gravitron doc you you mentioned it a couple of times it's a proper old um old school sci-fi sounding name for a piece of tech isn't it it's a great name um yeah, so a- in my memory this d- this device this technology was also used in the seeds of death does it make a reappearance doc or is that is it is that something else that's and,
1: well, to do with weather control as well isn't it yeah it's just called the weather control system oh, and, okay. um, we assume by the time in the seeds of death it's just something that's there and um, we assume it's no longer experimental it's a solved problem sure Um. so uh, the seeds of death is almost like the opposite end of the home improvement I, I, I'm I'm going to call this the program of home improvements yeah yeah um, these are all these things that crop up in the Troutman era uh, that are all about making life better for people on Earth. This is the beginning of it. And the seeds of death is the end of it. And it's been, it's it's discovered in the seeds of death that the the outcomes are not necessarily positive. Um, And one assumes that people starving is a positive. Um, But the human race having been completely drained of its spirit of adventure... Um, and basically, getting a bit too comfortable and having too much stuff done for it. Mm, mm. And it's—we'll talk about this when we get to the seeds of death in about forty years' time.
0: Sure, ah, that's right. Yes, yeah. roughly twenty thirty-two. I think we get in there. Doc. So, um, marketing <laughs> yes. your diary, marketing your <laughs> diary. Uh, ben said, "Not you, Polly. This is men's work." I mean, that fucking dated it, didn't he? Crying out loud. And 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 Polly's reaction. I thought was very interesting because she, she didn't even flinch, you know, as if, as if that was totally unacceptable in the way that Joe Grant would certainly in, in three or four years time.
1: Once again, I'm I'm, I'm always keen to, to try to sort of put these into place. Pers- there's, there's nothing I hate more than people like looking at the year 1966 and basically at dot, dot, dot when people were stupid. Sure. Uh, uh-huh. It's not like there was no such thing as feminism in 1966.
0: Yeah. Mm. Okay. I just thought it was strange because it that line was just dropped straight, it wasn't played for laughs, it wasn't it, 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 there didn't seem to be any kind of social commentary because for that to be the case then Polly would have had to have some kind of response to it it was just there, like a dead weight in the in the middle of that scene
1: We've encountered this kind of thing and the, the joke um, and it's a UK sitcom joke. When they do these, when they do these bits, the joke is on Ben, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. um, Ben is not only shorter um, than Polly, um, he's completely outclassed by her mm-hmm. um, in terms of intelligence and competence and everything. Mm. And I really like these bits where Ben tries and fails miserably to be macho, in fr- specifically in front of Jamie, I think.
0: Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of rivalry there, isn't it? He wants to show off in front of Polly, doesn't he, basically? He's like a, okay. like a little, little boy on the school ground showing off in front of the pretty girl.
1: Yes, and he's really crap at showing off. And yeah. that, I think that's the point. Yeah. I think that's what he takes away from it, and I, I think that's what we're supposed to... Um, I don't think we are supposed to to take away from it that Ben is a domineering patriarch who's keeping poor Polly in her place and all she wants to do is spread her wings and fly.
0: Sure, yeah, yeah. I just thought it was a curio. Um, The end of episode two doc reminded me, I'm gonna give you a pop culture reference now, reminded me of the end of Saw 1, the first Saw movie. Hello, do you wanna play a game? So, for people that... uh, you haven't seen saw need reminding and spoilers by the way i'm going to spoil the fuck out the end of saw now um so fast forward if you're not if you if you don't want that to happen um in saw you have got two guys trapped in 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 like a dungeon effect like a basement room acting as a dungeon there's a dead body in the middle of the roo- in the middle of the room um surrounded by blood that, 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 that's pumped pumped out of, it, out of it before life was extinguished um and then right at the end we realized that the perpetrator of the whole thing is in fact that dead body because that is not a dead body that's a real life person that's actually jigsaw the mastermind behind the whole fucking thing Ooh, gotcha. um and um, the end of episode two really made me think of that doc yeah yeah
1: um once again, it's tiny, but it, it's a little bit silly because apparently no one noticed the Cyberman hiding under that flimsy no. blanket.
0: Yeah, the, the enormous frame of the and, and the massive silver boots.
1: The massive, the, the <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: fucking huge size nineteen silver <laughs> boots. Yeah, yeah. Um, I still think it's a great episode ending.
0: Though. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I liked it. Um, I thought it was excellent. And it, it was signposted. I kind of guessed what was going to happen about thirty seconds before it did. Um, but, you know, whatever. It was still good
1: fun. Um, I think episode one is a great episode ending, too, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Remind, remind me, Doc. I only watched it this well, afternoon. It's, it's but... where, um... It's where Jamie's hallucinating and he oh, thinks that's the Phantom Piper has come for him.
0: Yeah, that, that didn't make any sense to me, Doc. Why would he...? Because he's hallucinating, but his eyes are still working, so presumably he's still... He's seeing the Cybermen as it really looks, isn't he? So why would he then think it's the Phantom Piper?
1: You'd have to go into Jamie's personal and cultural history, mm. wouldn't you? Sure um, I do people have a very clear idea about what the spirit of death in their culture actually looks? I don't think they do. Mm. Um, I don't think even cultures that have the idea of a spirit of death uh, 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 yeah a spirit of death that comes to to collect you, whether it's a banshee or a black rabbit or whatever it is. I don't think many individual people have a very clearly formed idea in their mind as to what their culture spirit of death looks like but in our culture we do don't we we have the grim reaper well we've got that one that we inherited from the ancient greeks but mm-hmm. um, and, but isn't the thing we inherited from the ancient greeks isn't actually charon the ferryman
0: well you've got the ferryman but 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 i would say if you asked somebody on the street who is it that comes to meet you as you die, as you're passing on into the next life? I think most people would describe the Grim Reaper, would describe the the hood, the scythe, you know, the skeletal face.
1: Yeah, um, I think I think that's how Charon is supposed to. I, I I I don't have a clear image of what Moros is supposed to look like. I'm not um, saying
0: it's not. I'm not saying it's not lifted from 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 a previous culture, but I'm saying that is. I think that is our cultural version of what you're describing doc
1: yeah um but once again nobody in the modern uk really believes oh no moros will appear by your bedside Uh no no certainly not use a scythe and cut the soul out of your body and store it in an egg timer no and take it away
0: i would say maybe there are three people in the whole of the uk that think that that's true
1: um so there's, there's more than that under the railway bridge at the end of my street. <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Um, so, I, I don't know if I've ever been spent a lot of time around people whose culture earnestly has a, a, a conception of a spirit of death. No, I don't. Um, know. Don't know the answer, doc. No, I don't. Um, no. I don't think it's particularly unusual that. Jamie would see this fucking freaky thing standing at the end of his bed, mm. and assume it was the Phantom Piper.
0: Yeah, it Perfectly good ending, ending to the episode. I, I just thought it was a little bit curious. Doc, sleep beckons for me, sir. So, should we move on to part yeah.
1: four? Let's. Overweight under Pardo museum piece.
0: Welcome to part four of the show, which we call Overweight Underpowered Museum Piece. Uh, production, costumes, effects, direction, all that shenanigans. The matte painting at the start, though, as the TARDIS landed, I think it was a matte painting anyway, but they just like, overlaid the TARDIS onto. It mm. looked so bleak, so hostile. It was a proper, scary start, wasn't it? And it really set the tone. Definitely. Yeah. I loved it.
1: Um, It's... Stuff that works much better in black and white than it can ever work in colour, doesn't it?
0: I think you're right. You know, I think that's a really great point. It just somehow looks more sinister, I suppose, because by washing away all of the colour, you know, you you you, you just things automatically just feel. Well, I've already it just feel bleak, don't they? Hostile and alien and unfriendly and unforgiving and relentless.
1: Well, and I mean, this is something else that. As we be- as the human race began to do more space exploration we began to realize that actually forbidden planet probably got it wrong um like they probably there almost certainly weren't easily habitable planets within a few months of space travel mm. actually except for the except for the one that we knew about nearly everywhere in the universe was likely to be cold dark depressing um and would kill you in far less time than it would take you to go,
0: ah! Sure. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. And that's, I think that's an existential crisis about the nature of the universe that really took hold mm. as human beings began, spe- you know, as, as the human race began sending more and more space rockets into space and absolutely no fucker bothered to get in touch with us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this becomes a massive, like the, the loneliness of space travel becomes a a huge preoccupation going forward into the late 60s and the 70s. When we come to do the wheel in space, I think the wheel in space is probably one of the hardest pieces of science fiction that Doctor Who has ever done because the Cybermen are almost no threat at all compared to this terrifying existential loneliness of what space travel actually is. Sure, yeah,
0: yeah, and and this is touched on in things like uh, 2001, isn't it, I guess?
1: 2001, and then, um... Solaris. Yeah, and then people think this is a comedy, but I don't. Um, Dark Star, which comes to the conclusion that the only conceivable response to space travel is to go mad.
2: It is the future. Mankind has conquered the stars. He moves out to the endless interstellar reaches of the universe. An advanced exploration core. A new breed of pioneer must seek out unstable planets and... Destroy yeah, them.
0: and Silent Running as well, I, would, I would in as well. Yeah. New adventures in outer space. See the almost human drones. See Silent Running. Yes, yeah, so, yes, yeah, so, so you're right. And then these are all 70s offerings, aren't they? Late 60s or 70s offerings. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good point, Doc. Um, I'm going to get a couple of negatives out of the way, because I I want us to end on a positive, because I I fucking love this story, so, but but it's not without flaw, um, uh, design-wise I'm talking here, I I, I love the guy, Evans, I think he was called, uh, kind of went crackers, in or or was being controlled, I think, actually, had that that fucking tea cozy thing on his head,
1: Um, um, It's a shower cap, isn't
0: it? Uh, yeah, what well, do you know, it, 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 controlling the graviton machine yeah. really made me laugh, dog, just because it looked—it looked so ridiculous, especially like when counterpointed by the excellent design of pretty much everything else. And, and then suddenly you get this thing, and you go, "What the fuck is that? How did that get through the screening process?" Um, it was, and I suppose the other one, which I would throw the same accusation at, is the Cyberman spaceship which i thought was pretty disappointing i know flying saucers were de at the time but i thought it just really really lacking in imagination and didn't feel cyberman-tastic to me right
1: i'm glad you said that yeah um, when i began to have the chance to watch doctor who yeah. i was pissed off that the cyberman had flight i never thought the Cybermen no. should, have the no. should have flying saucers i thought the cyberman should have the cigar shaped
0: well c- cigar shaped but, but whatever shape it happens to be, it's going to have some kind of like brutalist design to it. Utterly, yeah. utterly pragmatic, you know. Whereas the Flying Saucer just seems a little bit too, um, I don't know. It, it, it seems a bit too flamboyant,
1: doesn't it, Doc? It's too exotic. I mean, it, yeah. The, the Flying Saucer goes along with Dalek, does it? You know, it's it, it's round. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's odd-looking, yeah. but beautiful in its own way. Sure. I d- I d- um, Cybermen, you-, you want
0: your cigars? I'd be happy in something like the Ball Cube, you know, something like that, um,
1: for the Cybermen. I think the Cybermen are more Baroque. I mean, the, the design of the Cybermen is more yeah. Baroque. Sure. Than the, <clears throat> uh, you know, Cybermen are beautiful sculptural objects at this point of their career. Yeah. So, uh, I out of the um, the classic canon of UFOs that we know exist that we mm-hmm. that, like none of the silly ones that we're not sure about the ones no. that we know are real yes of course yeah let's get um, it clear the the Adamski type saucer is clearly a dialect ship mm-hmm. the, um the cigar with the flashing lights is clearly a cyberman ship <laughs>
0: yeah i'm glad we're on the same page doc yeah we, we, we yeah, might I'm, have had to we really glad that i'm really glad you said, that. Yeah. Really glad you said that. we might have had to have abandoned the project if uh, we disagreed on that one so thank god for that doc we're safe for another six years at least um Positives. I love those uh, like proper retro spacesuits that they're all wearing all the way through. Really, really, just fill my heart with joy. I must every time. Every time they popped up, and of course, we can't go through the, ho- the whole episode without mentioning that bloody, just spine tingling kind of silent yeah. marching music.
1: You um, know, space adventures.
0: Do 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 every time it plays every time it plays i'm I'm, I'm just i'm I'm so engaged i'm so enthused by it it's it's magnificent and didn't you tell me that that was a bit of archive music wasn't even kind of commissioned especially for who
1: it wasn't commissioned it was on a um an album of science we've talked about exotica a lot recently Mm. It was on an album of science uh, science fiction exotica, uh, um, like future exotica or interplanetary exotica, and it's called Space Adventure.
0: Wow! And it's it's absolutely sensational. I love it, Doc.
1: Um, um, talking about sound, um I need. I'll I'll hate myself if I don't bring this up. Mm. How great are the Cybermen's voices, too? Yeah, I tell you, I'll be honest with you.
0: It took me. A minute or two to actually tune into it. I, the first couple of sentences I actually found quite difficult to understand. Yeah, um, but it's, it's really fucking alien, though, isn't it? Yeah, I, 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 but I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Um, but but then once I did tune my ear in, it was perfectly fine. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it was a- absolutely great. But but you know, I do have a bit of a soft spot for the old Mondassian Cyberman voices, so I, I miss that a little bit.
1: Me too. Yeah. Um, There's a couple of bits of direction when the Cyberman in the spaceship is communicating either to his home base and then to his infantry on the surface. The funny voice and the weird psychedelic pattern, the the, the psychedelic back projection behind the Cyberman, it's one of those moments where you really get the idea that you have made an unwarranted observation or you're eavesdropping on something really alien. Yeah. It doesn't look like, for, for, for those few seconds, I know this seems silly, for those few seconds, it seems like you've been able to steal a look at a, a complete, it doesn't sound like any concession has been made for people who speak English natively. Mm-hmm. It doesn't look like anything you'd see normally. Mm-hmm. The Cyberman isn't interacting with any human being, so it passes um, It passes the alien equivalent of the bestial test. Sure, <laughs> yeah good (laughs) Uh, um well the i'm gonna make that a thing Uh, i'm gonna come up with a name for it but um i i like it best in doctor who when aliens are there and they talk amongst themselves and they don't talk only for the benefit of humans or only for the benefit of the doctor yeah yeah sure um and just those few seconds I, i i love those bits
0: yeah, I, I agree, Doc. I've, I've only got a couple of, of other points to make, really, and, and then I'm ready to wrap up, really. Um, and, and, and it's wishful thinking wishful thinking on my part. Obviously, two of these episodes are pretty much intact, aren't they? Is it episode, was, was it two and four? Two oh, and four, yeah. Yeah, um, and <clears throat> in one and three, there were, there were a couple of scenes that I really, I really, really wish we could see. What it actually looked like, you know, you've got the—I think in episode one, you've got the bit where they're all kind of jumping around on the moon, just enjoying yeah. the sensation of of, of of low gravity. And uh, wouldn't it be delightful to actually see what that looked like? You know, see oh, how definitely. effective. Or otherwise, because I actually maybe it looked a bit shocking. um It looked—I thought—because they all seem to have it to be having a marvelous time, and I, and I wanted to enjoy it with them. Do you know what I mean, Doc? Yeah yeah and, and the other one um i would like to have been able to see the effect of like the cybermen chest units melting and the, the spraying all of the spraying all of the white foam everywhere um,
1: well, i suspect um it's a very very similar effect to the one that you get in tomb of the Cybermen.
0: i was thinking that doc yeah i was thinking that but and I, but i would imagine the one in tomb is probably a refined version so it probably looks better anyway I think so, too. Yeah, yeah. Any, any last points for you, Doc, on the production
1: before um, we uh, yeah, wrap this bad boy up? There's an effect I would have liked to have seen, which is... And I think it's in episode three when you see the Cybermen use their weapons. Sure. Um, and um, I've heard this described from production notes. And apparently when the Cyberman shoots someone, mm. um, there's the... A close-up of a candle flame is superimposed over the person's body, um, and then there are tubes put inside their costume to pump black smoke out of. Ah, mm-hmm. I would like to have seen that.
0: Talking of that, that electrical kind of energy weapon, whatever it is that the Cybermen were using, yeah, I don't, re- I don't remember them, them
1: having that capability. Is that is that unique to this story, or does it? Oh, the weapons? Cybermen have got the, the Cybermen are fucking bristling with weapons. I, I, this is when I made my allusion to you know in ages past they'd have been the Japanese yeah um they've, they've got a lot of ninja-like capability nobody was really talking about ninjas in 1966 but if this had been made in 1980 um they've got a lot of very ninja-like ca- you know they can sneak around and see and they can they've got tunnels they can get into places um and they've got lots and lots of different weapons as well sure um They've got the mind control ray that comes out of their headpiece. They've got their sidearm tucked into their chest unit. Mm. They can fire a sort of electrical spark out of their two fingers. Mm. Um, And sort of, what what weapon have the Cyberman got this week um, becomes a really fun game to play. Yeah, I I just don't, I can't remember seeing that
0: in any other Cyberman story, but I'm not particularly familiar with anything kind of pre- revenge with the exception of the invasion um or maybe two two as well
1: yeah um i think you'd need a pretty stern so fitting in with what we what we've been told about Morris barry i think you need a pretty stern director to make that effect work because it's obviously a a trace generated on an oscilloscope and then superimposed over the the action Mm. you would need a stern enough director to be able to make the actors hit the marks and be in the right place sure yeah. the superimposition, and you know having to say to the the guy who, who plays the Cyberman stand on these tape marks here and put your arms in this position Yeah, and the other guy put your forehead in precisely this position mm. and we'll rehearse it twice more and then we'll go for a take and you will hit your marks
0: mm. <laughs> yeah yeah but it sounds like uh, the director here might have been the very man to actually make sure that actually happened
1: um, I think um I think it probably was and I I think probably other people maybe weren't and didn't even attempt it.
0: Yeah. Doc, any final thoughts?
1: No, uh, it's, The Moonbase has been such a good friend, like, such a constant companion of mine. Mm. It was one of the first novelizations I ever bought. Um, by, when I, when I was able to get Black and White Doctor Who eventually, it might have been the third or fourth piece of Black and White Doctor Who that I ever got.
2: Yeah.
1: Um... I think it was on a tape I borrowed from somebody that also had the Moonbase episode three
2: mm.
1: on it, which is a cracker. Um, and it's it's been such a loyal and faithful and constant companion to me from about age eight. I always forget how much I really like it.
0: Mm. I think this could be the first time I've ever seen this story. No, nothing about it was familiar. Um, oh. And I have to tell you, Doc. I absolutely fucking loved it. Yeah. Um, it was it, it just, it just everything I wanted it to be, everything I presumed it would be. It was, you know, it, 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 it's a Patrick Troughton, base under siege tale, told really well, you know, good actors performing a good script with good set design and good, you know, for the time effects to back it all up. I really, really loved it, Doc. But,
1: there are people out there who will tell you that this is actually the high point of the Patrick Troutman era, mm-hmm. um, and that season five is five remakes of The Moonbows. Sure. Um, I have good reason, whilst understanding their point, I have good reason not to agree with them, but um, I think it's self-evident that this story worked so well and was so well-received um, that it became the production model for a whole entire season.
0: Yeah, well, we'll find out in the next uh, eighteen months to two years. Won't we, Doc? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, are we done, sir? I think we are. Yeah, I think we. I think we both really enjoyed that story, didn't we? I've, I've been looking forward to this one for for a little while, actually, and so I'm really, really pleased that it kind of lived up to expectations.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, it's in theory. I always know that I really like it, and I always know, but. It's, it's not quite familiarity breeding contempt, but it's, it's just... It's been a soft quotes favourite of mine for so long. I always forget that it's a real... It, it's not merely a ritual favourite of mine. It's an actual favourite of mine.
0: Sure. Okay, guys, that about does it for this episode of DDSOS. Join us next time when we'll be discussing John Pertwee's fourth story, which is only bloody inferno. Oh, my God, Doc,
1: I'm all of a tremble. Life is good at the moment. We're Life on a really
0: is... good run, aren't we? Yes. Yeah, really, really good run.
1: Doc, you gonna be there? Of course I am.
0: I'll see you then, brother. <laughs>